If you have a copy of the scriptures, I'd invite you to turn with me to the book of Romans. So this morning we're going to look at the last part of chapter 6 and the first few verses of chapter 7. Um, and as you're turning there, just wanted to update you on a couple things. Um, one is uh, that this will be our last sermon in Romans for the summer. So next week we'll start in Genesis 12 through 25, those chapters. If you want to read ahead, please feel free to do that. Um, secondly, I wanted to give you an update on my health. Um, as you remember, a couple weeks ago, I had you pray for me because I had some scans coming up and blood work and tests, which I had this past Tuesday. Um, so I wanted you to know that my markers look really good. Um, my blood work looks really good. Um, but I have a suspicious nodule in my lung that has grown from 5 millimeters to 12 in the last three months. And so I've got some more tests upcoming to determine what that means for the future. And so as you can imagine... That was, that was not exactly the news that I wanted to hear. Um, by the same token, I'm, I'm thankful that I'm having to have these uh, tests and scans and everything every three months and that the doctors are intensely looking at my body and what's going on inside. And so I'm very thankful for that. Uh, but it's not easy news to hear. And so if you would love, like to continue to pray, I certainly would love that. You can pray for me that I would have patience and that I would have endurance and that I wouldn't worry too much, um, that I would be able to take all that I am to my Heavenly Father regularly, my frustration, uh, my not knowing what to do. Um, my scan is not till a week from this Tuesday. So I don't, I don't enjoy waiting. I don't know about y'all, but I don't enjoy waiting, especially for things like this. So <clears throat> if you would pray, I certainly would appreciate it, and I'll update you more as I know more. So that scan will be the 7th of June. So if you want to pray, please do. All right, let's look at Romans 6 this morning. And I know it's a weird transition, but just to be honest with you, I have nowhere else to go except to worship God and think about the gospel and be with his people. And so I know it's hard perhaps to hear those words, um, but let's go to God together. Listen to this from Romans 6. I'll read the last half of the chapter through verse 6 of chapter 7. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? Either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. 
But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Let's ask God to help us understand these words. Would you pray with me? Lord in heaven, we thank you that you have given us truth. For Lord, our lives are up and down and all over the place. We at times think that we have control only to realize it's the illusion of control. We spend a lot of time worrying and fretting. I do. But you have given us good news to take in and to live by. So I ask, Lord, I even perhaps even beg that you would help us to come here and not come with a desire to want to learn how to be nicer or be better but you would help us to come into your presence to worship you, to want to hear more good news, to want to have our lives changed, to be challenged, corrected, equipped for everything, what we know and what we don't know, that you would get glory from our lives. We pray this through Jesus. We pray this in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. If we're going to understand these verses this morning, it's impossible for us to understand chapter 6, verse 15 through verse 6 of chapter 7 without remembering that this section is connected to the first part of chapter 6. So just because it's been two weeks, it's good to review. Remember, Romans 6, verses 1 through 14 are telling us one clear point. This is who you are. This is who you are. The first half of chapter 6. You are defined, totally defined by someone else. His name is Jesus. You are totally defined by his life. That means that it's not what you do or what you have done. You are defined by someone else named Jesus, both in his death and in his resurrection. And that meant, if you look back at chapter 6, verses 11 through 13, you'll remember that Paul says, consider yourself. He says to me, Dave, if you're in Jesus, consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God. And then, this is who you are, completely defined by someone else. So consider yourself this way and then live like it. Give all that you are to God, everything that you are. Give everything that you are to him. So with that as the background, this section in Romans 6 through the first part of chapter 7 are building on that. So here's the point. So if you're the kind of person that likes to take notes or wants to know the one idea that we're going to talk about, this is it. This is it. Live into your new reality. Live into your new reality. That's what these verses are all about. 
Here's where we're going to stop along the way today. We've got three places we're going to stop on this journey of thinking about living into our new reality. We're going to look at a question, which you can find in verse 15. Then we're going to look at freedom, verses 16 through 23. And then we're going to look at relationship, verses 1 through 6 of chapter 7. That's where we're going to pause on this journey, building, thinking about living into this new reality. Now, that phrase may be a little strange, live into our new reality, but let's just think about briefly how this phrase, that phrase is not really that hard to understand. So who here is ready for school to be out? Some of you probably already out of school. It's summertime coming up, right? Well, guess what? You get to live into that reality. You don't have to wake up early in the the coming weeks, in the coming couple months. You can sleep in if you want to, more than likely, unless your parents tell you that you need to get up and then you're gonna, you know, fight that a little bit, but you'll probably end up getting up. But you get to live into the reality of summer. You don't have to lug books around all the time and, and go to school and go do all these classes. You get to live into the summer life. Anybody looking forward to a vacation this summer? You get to live into that reality. Which means for some of you that may be harder than others. You're gonna have to put your phone down and not think about work. That may be hard for some of you because you gotta live into that new reality. You're going on vacation. You're supposed to spend time relaxing and having fun with your family and friends. You get to live into that reality. How about for those of you that are going to work tomorrow? You got a project coming up? New responsibilities? (laughs) Well, sorry. You gotta live into that reality tomorrow. You gotta get things done you got to take your responsibility and work it out. In other words, living into our new reality means embrace it, put it on, lean into it. That's what Paul's getting at. God is telling us, live into your new reality. So he starts with this question. Well, what should we say? If we're not under law and we're under grace, is it okay if we sin? Remember, Paul just said in verse 14 that we are not under law, we are under grace. So the natural implication is to say, oh, so if I'm under grace, if grace is permeating everything about my life, if my relationship with God is based upon grace and not my performance, if my relationship with God is based upon grace, I'm under it, then does it really matter if I break the law? Does it really matter if I sin? Does it really matter if I rebel against God? Does it really matter if grace is what gets me to heaven? If grace is what gets me to be in an okay place with God? Do I really need to care about sin at all? Doesn't it, if, if I'm defined by grace, then who really cares about sin? Well, let me tell you, this is a great question. You may think, well, that doesn't really apply to me. Well, hang on. This, this is the perfect, this is our mentality. This is the mentality that we have. Those of us who are bent on serving self, anybody relate to that? Let me flush it out even more. For those of us that have no problem wanting things that other people have, you know, whether it's their lifestyle, whether it's their education, whether it's their financial position, whether it's their job, for those of us that don't have a problem wanting what someone else has, This is for us. For those of us that find it far easier to speak ill of someone else than to bless and speak well of other people, this question's for us. Anybody anybody find it super easy to be critical of other people? I mean, it's like just get in your car and drive down the road. How long does it take you before you start judging other drivers? 
we find it so easy to be critical toward other people. For those of us that feel like, you know what, I can do whatever I want with my sexual desires and they'll be just fine. It's not really going to hurt. I mean, if both of us agree. Why does it matter? Relate to that? How about those of us that are bent toward not liking authority? You tell me what I'm supposed to do? Well, psh, I'm going to do the opposite immediately. You find that in your heart? How about anybody struggle with trying to find a rhythm between work and rest? Anybody find it hard to rest? Anybody struggle with working all the time, wanting to work all the time, finding your worth in working? Well, if you're under grace, why in the world does it matter if you are that way or not? Isn't it okay if you just become a workaholic? Isn't it okay if you speak ill of other people? Isn't it okay if you want what other people have? If you're under grace, isn't it okay for you to do whatever you want with your sexual desires? That's what Paul's getting at here because he knows his audience. We're bent towards serving ourselves in every conceivable way. And we like to justify that by saying, well, my relationship with God is based on grace, so it doesn't matter what I do. And Paul says, if that's the way you think, look at, the, look at verse 15. No way. May it never be. God forbid, if you want to learn some Greek, may genoito. Can you say may? Genoito. That's the strongest construction that you got. He's used it over and over. He's saying, no way, it's repulsive. You're crazy. If you're thinking that way, then there's a disconnect going on between what is true and what you want. What is true in how you're living. So Paul says, may it never be. It can't be that way. You're not thinking gospel. You're already bent toward not living into your new reality. So then in verse 16 through 23, he starts working out freedom and this idea of freedom. And what Paul says in 16 through 23 is this, that there's, he uses this idea of slavery, which we don't like, but he's talking about being in bondage. Yeah, us, Dave, you in bondage. Like where something is dominating my life. That's what he's getting at. And he says in verse 16, if you look at it, that you only have two options. You're either in bondage to sin or you're either in bondage to obedience. In those verses, 16 through 23, he teases out each of those because he wants us to think about what is dominating our lives. He wants to think about what is controlling us. So, he talks about, are you dominated by sin? Do you remember what it's like? Do you know what it's like right now? Look at verse 21. He, he presses us to reflect on sin. It gets real personal. Yeah, he actually wants you, he wants me to think about our lives. Look at verse 21. He says, hey, when your former way, when, when you look back, at the things that you're now ashamed of, the things that you did in your past, when you think back about that time in your life, the things that you're now ashamed of, what fruit was actually produced when you were living that way? Anybody relate to that? When you were out serving yourself, when you were out thinking about yourself all the time, exclusively, what actually was produced? What was the effect? 
what actually happened in your life when you were doing things and now you were ashamed of doing them. Can you relate to that? My hunch is, well, you know what he's talking about, right? For those of you that, had, that have had wild lives, where God radically changed you, he's saying think back at the time in your life when you were wild. To press us even more and to bring it, try to get succinctly what he's talking about, for me, and perhaps this can, is even more relatable for you as well, thinking back to what was produced was just this constant sense of guilt and shame. You know, it, it, was, it was the guilt that I couldn't get out from under. And it was the shame that I just couldn't shake off. It was like that sticky booger you can't get off your finger. It's like everywhere I was, everything I did, everywhere I went, it was just this shame. You just can't get it off. Do you remember that? When you think back, do you remember the guilt? Because you would go and do things that you know, I would go do things that I know I shouldn't do, but then I would try to do a good thing to see if that good thing could outweigh the bad thing. You remember that? But it was just guilt and shame. So I got super motivated by, you know, wanting to be better, wanting my good things to be greater in number than my bad. Knowing what I was doing was only producing more guilt and shame. Well, look at what Paul says in verse 21 as you reflect on your own life. He says the fruit that was actually produced, he spells out and makes it super plain. You see it in verse 21? The fruit is um, death. <laughs> shame and guilt equal death. Death feels like shame and guilt. It's death. And Paul says, you know what? There are better things about you. When he starts talking about being dominated by obedience, look at verse 17 through 19. He's so encouraging. He's saying, but you're different. Thanks be to God. That's how he starts off verse 17. You're a new person. You actually do things now from the heart. And, and you obey this body of truth or this sound doctrine or teaching. Like you obey that now. He, he's encouraging us to recognize that if you, if you are in Jesus, you're different. You've changed. And, and God is the one who's to be thanked for that. And the change is real because now you do stuff from the heart. And what you do from the heart is you obey the sound teaching that you have been delivered to. Do you get that? God saved you to truth. And now you're dominated by truth. So that you obey because you have been delivered to truth. You didn't find truth on your own. You didn't make it up on your own. God caused your life to come in contact with truth. And, and what do you think this pattern or teaching of truth is, this doctrine? Well, there are a lot of things that it is. We'll try to be succinct here as well. If you want to read back through the first few verses of Romans chapter 1, you got a great example there. It's this new reality. 
It's looking at the world through a four-part story. It's recognizing that God's created everything and that we were created good. It's recognizing that we have rebelled against God. We sinned, meaning we tried to be God and it brought about death. But Jesus came and the whole world and the whole earth is centered on Christ and his coming so that he lived a perfect life and he literally rose from the dead so that this body of truth is Jesus-centered. And the fourth part of the story, creation, rebellion, redemption, is the fourth part, restoration. That because of the resurrection and because of what Jesus has done, he's coming back. We confess it today. We long to see the new Jerusalem coming down. That heaven and earth are going to be reunited and all things will be made new. And we have been delivered to that. That view of reality, that way of looking at the world, that way of looking at ourselves so that we understand that we're supposed to be centered on Jesus and that God is always fulfilling his mission. What he started in Genesis 1, one day will be true and better. And when Paul says, you've been delivered to this, we know that and sense that. Now I know I belong to God. And even though I've rebelled, he forgives. And even though I don't know the future, I know what God says is gonna happen. And we live into that reality. And God is telling us through Paul that that is the only place to find freedom. Freedom is not the absence of rules. Freedom is not the less I have restraints on me, the more free I am. That's not true freedom. Freedom is having the right restraints. Freedom is having, true freedom is being who you were made to be. Do you get that? True freedom is living the way you were built to live. Well, you see, Paul is pressing this into us because to go back to what we said a couple weeks ago, we're always living for something. You know, it's, it's really hard to detect when something's dominating you. You know, because we're Americans and we're Westerners and we're individualists and we look at everything as I get my checklist and I take these five steps and I master something. I go to school and I get all this education and I know how to fix things and I can make it more efficient and I can be more productive and I can do all this stuff. It's how we work individualistically. That's why it's so hard to tell when something actually has a hold of you because we come out thinking we get to hold on to and control everything else. And the reality is that we always live for something. All of us are gripped by something. Maybe for you that is, I don't know, approval. Maybe it's accomplishment. Maybe it is power. Maybe it is influence. And so what you do when what I do, what we do, is we use our work ethic. We use our skills and abilities. We use, we use all that we are to try to acquire acceptance, to try to get 
love. And God is saying, if you're using your job to try to make yourself worth something, if you're using your work ethic to try to get approval of certain people because that's how you feel valued and that's how you feel worth, guess what? You're in bondage to your own work ethic. You've got an idol of work ethic. You've got an idol of performance because you think that's the way that you can find your worth and value. In other words, that is controlling you. You aren't controlling it. You say, well, I don't know about that. Oh, well, just check your moods. Someone challenges your work ethic. How long does it take for you to start defending yourself? Someone starts challenging your skills. Can you take it? Someone starts challenging your idol of being right all the time. You get mad? Look at how, at your core, what makes you upset? What gets you angry? What gets you flustered? What makes you feel like you're floating on a cloud? Probably found your idol. It's the illusion of control. Thinking that you are running everything. You wouldn't say it, but our lives illustrate it. Well, that leads us to the first six verses of chapter seven, relationship. Question, freedom, and relationship. Now, the first six verses of chapter seven are, are not the place where God talks about who should marry and all kinds of other details about marriage at all. Paul is actually giving us an illustration. All, all, these, these, all these verses are flowing together and they fit together. He's giving us an illustration because Paul wants us to be taken somewhere. He actually is trying to move us to a person by using the illustration of marriage. So please come with me. Let's go somewhere. Let's get to someone. You know, in the Bible, there are three provisions that nullify a marriage. There are three provisions that sever the commitment of marriage. This one in chapter seven tells us the most obvious one, death. If you're married to someone and your spouse dies, you're free. You no longer have to keep that marriage commitment because your spouse has died, so you're free. That's what he's saying in the first three verses of chapter seven. But then look at what happens in verse four. Look at it. He turns it to us, and he says, you have died. You see? He's saying the reason that you're committed and have to stay committed is because you're both alive, but if one of you dies, you're free, and you can have a new spouse. And in verse four, he says, but you have died. This is amazing stuff. He says, you have died through the body of Jesus. This is how grace works. What God does when Jesus was on the cross and when Jesus died, he's saying, you have died. You have died to your old spouse, sin. You have died to your old spouse that's held you in bondage and held you captive, sin, rebellion. You have died to that. It's not that sin is dead in you. Sin is still very active in us. We'll talk about that in the rest of chapter 7. But you have died, and you are then raised to new life with a new spouse, Jesus. 
And what that means is that just like in marriage, you know, by definition, marriage is when you kind of um, decide that you don't want to be single and you want to be with someone else, right? You say, I don't want to go through life solo anymore. I want to have a companion. I want to be with someone. And therefore, giving up singleness, it's not a burden to do that. It's a joy. You want the commitment of being in a relationship with someone else. You want to be committed. You want to lose your singleness, your solitude, so that you can have a partner and a companion. And when you have that companion and when you are committed, you know that you want to learn about the other person, right? Oh my goodness, you don't? <laughs> have I lost everyone? Those of you that are married, has, has it gotten old to you? Have you forgotten that you need to be interested in your spouse? Let them answer. It's going to be a fun discussion going home today, isn't it? You want to learn about your spouse. You want to know them. You want to grow. You want to change so that you can help bring joy into their lives. Does that sound familiar at all? Now, I realize we live in a culture where marriage is just a matter of an arrangement. I do this list, you do that list, and we meet in the bedroom. That is not what God's talking about at all. He's talking about a relationship in which we're learning about one another and growing in one another and serving one another so that joy is enhanced and explodes everywhere. So that there's real relationship because of the commitment. And Paul is saying you have died to one spouse and you are alive and have a new spouse. And his name is Jesus. And in your life you get to learn more about him and he continues to teach you about yourself. And you get to grow in your relationship with him, and you get to grow together in this relationship. And it brings incredible joy, thankfulness, hardship. But the future is absolutely certain and secure. God's never saying that our relationship with Jesus is easy. Jesus wants us to give up some things. But because we love him, we want to. That's why when he says that you need to be dominated by obedience, he's talking about being dominated by Jesus, which means, as verse 19 and 22 say, that we're growing, that sanctification, even to eternal life. So that means we need to grow in holiness. It means we need to grow in Christ-likeness because we're married to him. I reread one of my favorite articles that I read periodically throughout the year, and I wanted to paraphrase it for you. So I think the original author would, um, I think that he would, uh, let's just say I'm paraphrasing and leave it at that. If you want the whole article, be happy to send it to you. The title of the article is, Lighten Up, Christians. God wants you to have a good time. Here's some of what it says in the article. You know, we were made to advertise God. We were made to image God, to reflect him everywhere and in everything. But do you know how we live? We aim for efficiency. We aim for productivity. We aim for safety. Does that sound familiar? 
we aim for all of these other things. We aim at times to uh, um, fight the culture or accommodate the culture. Usually it's one or the other. We just come out fighting things or being overly willing to accommodate. Think about this. How do you parent? Those of you that have parents, those of you that are parents and have children, how do you parent? And those of you that can think back to your parents, how did they parent? Rules. Don't do this. Don't touch that. Rules are not in themselves bad. We need them. I just want to say, when God started parenting, he had one rule. Don't eat of this. And get busy exploring all of that. Remember that creation? Don't eat of this one tree, meaning everything else in the entirety of the world is yours. Go get it. Name it. Claim it. Organize it, work it out, spread my glory, use my creative powers, and do it. Get busy. Us? No, I can't, can't do that. I need to think about safety and efficiency, productivity, fighting things out there, accommodating things out there. And God's saying, it's all yours. Go. In my power and in my strength, go. Well, We live as if God is a list of negatives to bring it home even more, don't we? We live as if our relationship with God is a list of negatives. But to give one example of how that's not true, just think about this. God made skin bags full of milk swinging beneath cows. Skim the cream, add some cane sugar, put a little vanilla in it, freeze it solid, Eat it and worship. We tell our kids, oh, stop, that's too much. God says, try the hot fudge. You get it? Beloved, growing in obedience and holiness and Christ-likeness is not an absence. It is a flood It is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. You want to know what it means to grow? Are you becoming more gentle? Are you becoming more loving? Are you becoming more patient? Think about it. Stop thinking about growing in godliness and holiness is arguing about the next issue and making sure you're on the right side of the issue. That's not what it is. It's becoming more like Christ. It's delighting in your life with God. It's repenting. It is believing. It is growing in self-control. It is loving God and loving your neighbor. That's what holiness is. That's Christ-likeness. So that means, let's get real granular and then, I'll, then we'll get to the table. Hang in there, I'm almost done. Landing gear's out, we're coming down. This week, you are going to face situations in which there's gonna be conflict, in which you're gonna be challenged, in which you are going to have opportunities and moments when you can make decisions about whether or not you are going to serve yourself and your best interests. That's coming for you this week. 
So those moments where you are challenged, those moments where there's conflict, you have the opportunity to look at that situation and say, well, who do they think they are? I'm going to assert myself here. I'm going to show them that I'm right. I'm going to punish them because they did this to me. I'm not going to, I'm not even going to acknowledge them. I'm going to freeze them out. Or, or in those moments, in those moments, you're going to be able, by God's grace, to slow down and think to yourself, the gospel, you're going to live into this new reality in which you're going to be able to say, i got to acknowledge that. I've got to admit that. I've got to confess that. I've got to figure out how to speak the truth at the right time in the right way here, which may not be in this exact moment. I may need to circle back. You'll have the opportunity to slow down and start thinking about whether or not you're just serving yourself or whether or not Jesus has defined you totally and you are living into that new reality. Because that's what it looks like to grow. And beloved, that's what brings us to the table. 